happening right now? Is someone doing like a show or something? I think so. Welcome to Let's Talk About Shreks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. I think they're uh, reviewing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 2, on Novelty. Who are they? Greetings, I am... Dectorino. <laughs> we just let's say our names at the same time again. <laughs> Good. Earl Dorino. Hi, everyone. Hi. You were saying? <laughs> Never mind. We probably get a copyright strike. Welcome to the. Uh, welcome to. Welcome to. Let- oh, the guy already said that at the beginning of the episode. I don't know why we try to do that every time. It's probably really annoying to people that we do the same thing, even that we just did already. Yeah. <laughs> and I say the guy at the beginning like it's not me, but you know. Today, Jack and Earl will be discussing Star Trek Discovery, season four, episode two. Anomaly. That's the one. The episode where they review the anomaly that they discovered in the last episode. This is a pretty wild episode. Um, there's a there's there's not a lot that happens here to be honest, but there's it's the ending is they're they're doing big things with endings here this season so far. This, there was a lot that happened in this episode. I, there, there was might not there have was. been a lot of action that happened in the episode, but there was a lot that happened in this episode. Was there? D- d- damn straight. All right. So here's here's my brief synopsis. My brief synopsis of the episode is. We went to go see the anomaly. We saw it. We left. Well, okay. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's the story. A lot. It, there was but a yes, lot. There that, was a yes. Like that's what I mean. Like there was a lot of stuff in this episode. There was not a lot of stuff. Like we didn't really do much of anything. <laughs> but we did a lot. We did a lot while we were doing that thing. While we weren't <laughs> doing much of anything at all. I mean. Could you call it an exposition episode? And oh, for let, sure. Let, let's get up with catch up with Booker and. But I don't call them my man Booker, Booker. And, and see how he's doing. Huh? Yeah, it's a whole. Uh, that's your word. That's our word. Not, you can't use that word. It's a whole. How uh, dare you use that word? It, anyway, you're you're so racist to Jason sometimes. <laughs> not quite racist, but definitely there's like racist, racist adjacent. Like not quite like maybe not racist. Like I don't know. Like, you could be. I don't know. Uh, but uh, you know, just like with racist I, tendencies. Like I not, not full on racist, but like around with my friends. Right, right. You can express your racist tendencies instead of like being full on racist is basically what we're getting at here, I think. I I can joke around with my friend because I know that he won't take it personally. Sure. I don't have sure. those real attitudes. Sure, sure. Then maybe I should cut that part out of the show. Yeah, maybe. Because at that point, you're joking with more than just me. <laughs> <laughs> right, so you know. Shall we get into the episode? <laughs> sure. Just as my screensaver comes up. Yeah. So let me mention, uh, by the way, really quickly, because I really enjoyed it so much last episode. I'm that's like my new thing. Like when we're re- when I'm ready to like start doing any sort of task with anybody, it's gonna be all right. Uh-huh. Let's get into it. You know, like we were when she was ready to like go save the starbase. Oh, okay. The end of the last episode, I was asking myself why I can't feel something. 
maybe I was feeling the same thing that Booker was. I, I don't know. I just now realize that. What do you mean? Tell me more. At, at the very end of the episode, we see the clip of Booker's planet on fire. You know, like you can see the core from the outside. Okay. But this episode helped me process and figure it out. I think this episode helped me feel something for Book, for Book's people, for his loss, and feel something along the same lines as some of the characters are probably empathizing with Booker on. Do you feel like maybe when a tragedy happens, that there's a critical mass of tragedy that we just can't process anymore? I remember toward the beginning of the pandemic when the numbers started rising, mm-hmm. I remember feeling like sort of like a vertaginous like disconnect when the numbers started going to like a hundred thousand and it was just like the bigger the numbers were the less real it was for me Mm -hmm. is that crazy i don't know no no it's not humans tend to have a lack of understanding of large numbers and how much they really are i watched a video exactly what you were talking about this once The, the the host of the video said Imagine stepping on one dog's tail. Sure. Now imagine five. Now imagine ten dogs. You're stuck all getting on their tail stepped on at the same time. Now imagine a hundred. And he went up exponentially a thousand, a million, a billion dogs getting their tails stepped on all at once. It's all horrific. I'm all horrified by all of it. We, We have trouble comprehending numbers much higher than a thousand oh interesting there's an interesting exhibit i don't remember in front of which casino in in uh, new orleans but they literally have one million one dollar bills in a box on display and it give you a better comprehension of how much or how little a million dollars actually is gotcha point of view so uh, the reason i bring that up is because do you think maybe that's maybe some of what you were feeling because like we didn't I, I feel like we didn't really experience the loss that book was feeling at the time i think that might be partially because it's a mistake that production has currently because of the episodes there are not enough episodes that we can go back and back and back to a place and draw a connection with it like we've been to quajon what twice yeah i think your grants yeah there was never any time to like really connect with it mm-hmm and then like the time that we got something to connect to was muddled because they go to a place that they call, I think he calls it Kaihim. Mm-hmm. And I was so caught up in, well, Heem was the name of the planet where, you know, they Burnham and Book crash landed when she got here. So, and that just, I don't know, it just, it, it mu- so it muddled the waters for me because the, the, it was so, yeah. it was so tied into like, well, what planet is Heem? What planet, what's Kaihim? Isn't there planet Quajon? And, what's Kaihim is the heart of so why is it called Kaihim is that somehow connected to him anyway it became it became a little you know confusing for me the second time there and the first time there was all about fighting somebody to become their friend and and getting the worm back home you know yeah oh man all the transworms are dead all the what the transworms so the transworms live on Quajon did they do they I don't know. I, I got that impression, but I could be wrong. It's a transformed sanctuary, actually. I mean, he could have just been exaggerating and saying, you know, it happens to be... He, he might not have said what happened to be Quajon, but... 
could be. So as we as we get into the episode, Bookship has like all the future stuff, right? So like instead of yeah. you know having to sit in the back of the bridge and look into a little tiny screen to see the review of last episode, now <laughs> Book can put his dash cam review right up on the main view screen. Yeah. And cycle it back and forth like a lunatic, you know how people do. Yeah. When they have a recording of some terrible moment. This is where the birds are trying to fly as high as they they could is that what you're talking about yeah well i'm talking about when he was reviewing that footage so do you think they were trying to escape the planet desperately and willing to suffocate in order to survive so what's funny is we touched on that briefly last episode okay and that was my question was are they trying to leave the planet okay so you remember how also in the same episode there was the thing about the geo positioning satellites uh, with the mothman the fabric of the universe is space-time. So when the planet's space-time got disrupted by the anomaly, something about the magnetic poles changed or some, just something about their navigational processes changed. Because I can't imagine them intentionally flying out into space unless they thought that's what they were supposed to be and where they would be safe. Oftentimes, the humanoids of the planet are the last to know that something is wrong. And the birds might have just known something was wrong and to get away from it. And to get away from it, they had to fly to the sky. But the sky is where it was coming from, right? Because when he flew past them all, he flew through the thick mass of birds or whatever. Yeah. And then dead ahead of him was the anomaly. So it's as if they were flying toward it. They may not have known that the anomaly itself was up there as well. So the threat was up there. They just knew that the threat was coming to the entire ground and to get away from the ground. I see. I see. I, I think I understand that. And many animals also navigate by figuring out where the sun is, especially flying animals. That's why birds run into your window or like flies or bees crash into like your windshield all the time, especially since it's an angled window. You know, they're flying towards the, the sun, trying to sure. find where they're at. Mm -hmm. And they keep on crashing into this invisible barrier or the birds see the reflection of the sky in your window and right. you know in your dining room window and they crash into your dining room window and scare the hell out of you. Here's the thing again about that scene. I know that we, you know, talked about it, probably mentioned last episode, but that thing about that scene with like the whole kid and the kid running away and yada yada, it was like you just know something horrible or horrible is going to happen, right? Even in that that episode, I mean, we've been programmed to realize that that's that's cinema speak or tv speak for something terrible is going to happen to the kid when they're running away from the screen and they're laughing that's yeah like the yeah. last time it's like that. oh look at this joy you guys know why we're showing you this joy don't you you guys know we're gonna destroy we're gonna, it we're gonna <laughs> pull the tablecloth out from under you yeah we're gonna cbs bro. is gonna pull that football out of europe <laughs> So the flashbacks, though, that Booker is having, it, it just indicates to me that he could be slowly falling into some PTSD. I think he's traumatized. I think he's living through a trauma right now. Yeah, he's he's in the T part of PTSD. Yeah, this is a live action happening now trauma. So yeah. it makes sense that he's not paying attention to his surroundings and focused yeah. on you know the inner turmoil and i think that the cinematographer and the special effects people because there definitely had to be some wipe in there a little bit the way that michael just kind of appears out of nowhere oh sure it is showing kind of how in his mind or in the, his mind's eye 
she just out of, appears out of nowhere. I 100% agree with you on that. And I also think that it was a very slick way to, to remind us of the uniforms because you know last week we kind of muddled the muddy the waters of what of the uniforms because we saw the dress uniforms for the first time which was okay a very large departure from the regular uniforms that we're seeing you know this episode uh-huh. and just as i was getting used to the idea of those gray uniforms you know we're switching uniforms and then when we switched uniforms we switched into these new dress uniforms too so it's like they're really doing a lot with the uniform budget it seems well yeah we we saw the dress uniforms for maybe less than a third of the episode though i mean they were right into these bright red and blue and yellow up you know uniforms as soon as they got back out we also saw burnham's moth planet survival gear okay very similar to books moth planet survival yeah this it's kind of like they're kind of like farscape costumes is what that's reminding okay. me yeah with, with the leather you know what like bdsm leather costume no the leather they wore a lot of leather on farscape is that's what i was getting to where were you going (laughs) well the one guy with a leather head face thing mask thing i don't know what what you're on about i don't know i don't remember the guy's name the one bad guy with all white white oh scorpius you're talking about scorpius from farscape sure Yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah no i didn't mean like that i meant like Aaron, Aaron, and John used to wear a lot of leather. Like they wear leather jackets, long leather coats. Oh, know. okay. Now, uh, talking about the uh, uniforms, yes. one of the things I kind of noticed about these uniforms is they're very reminiscent to me. Uh, as little as I've seen of Battlestar, these are very reminiscent to me of Battlestar. Oh, interesting. I'm going to agree with you on that. And I actually hadn't considered that before. My brain has been trying to configure them in my head into TNG uniforms. And I think that they're overdoing it with the neck. And I think that if they just did that little cutout in the neck, it would be okay. Yeah. It would be all right. I mean, I, I'm still trying to get used to these the collar metal. That can't be too comfortable. Yeah, that is really weird. Um, it does seem yeah. very thick. Also, I'm trying to get used to the Bajoran Com badge still. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like well, we've it's definitely on the right on the correct shoulder. Yeah, this is well. There's not a correct one, but you know, just the shape of it. It's as if someone looked at the someone was watching Deep Space Nine and was like, "Oh, you know what? I like those little round things better. Let's go with little round things." I mean, they're still they still have the Starfleet Delta. They're definitely they not. do if you look hard enough. <laughs> well, the the details on the uh, oval Bajoran combat had different. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm just saying, like, you could see a Starfleet combat from across the room because it's the shape of the Delta. Uh-huh. These are just an oval. And across a room, which is how we're often seeing people, especially, like, when we're on the bridge, mm-hmm. you know, it can look like whatever. That's all I'm getting yeah. at. There's nothing okay. wrong with them. I like them. I know why they're that way because they're big, you know, pieces of tech. They have your tricorder in there. You got your personal transporter in there. I get it. It's just an aesthetic. It's also just an aesthetic change. And the excuse for the aesthetic change is we put a whole bunch of tech in there. So that's why now they're down to that. Like I got I got all the numbers. I get all the numbers. I get it. It's cool. It's Star Trek. It's dope. Let's do it. Tilly asked the right question. I mean, Tilly asked what we were all thinking. Is does Saru look taller to you? It's so interesting that I thought that she was like just making up small talk because like she wanted to be like, bitch, you took my job. 
and like oh, i yeah. thought that she was just yeah. like ignoring like just trying to like talk around the subject because clearly like homie just a second ago you selected me for first officer and now you're going to supersede me for, for first officer just by coming back like it's a that's a that's kind of a that's kind of a <laughs> I mean, well, and not only did he select her for first officer, but then Michael reselected her for first officer. Right. And then they were yes. like, ha, just kidding. <laughs> Since we're both here now, fuck you, little girl. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if, like, it, it seems to me that, like, she's going through something. Like, she seems like in a very dark mode, as I mentioned. So, like, I wonder, I wonder if yeah. that's a part of. I mean, we'll get to it at the end of the episode. Oh, but, but, I mean, she definitely did a good thing going to the doctor at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. You know, I kind of didn't catch that that's what that was. But I guess, yeah, we'll get there. Uh, but, yes, yeah, sorry does not look taller to me. I don't know. He could be. Right. It's funny that when Saru and uh, Michael Burnham were talking because uh, she mentioned the command that he was going to be given and he turned it down. And the name of the ship that she mentions is the USS Sojourner. And that's actually a role play that I was on once. I can't remember if I did that with you or a different It one. was not with me, but I will tell you that it's funny how many like RPG things are coming up into the Star Trek Discovery. Is it? Yeah, like I, I mentioned to you the vehicle replicator, right? Mm -hmm. Now the new thing that we've developed is now we have the hollow emitters everywhere. So like you have like the holodeck in your ship or the holodeck in your bedroom or like a holodeck in a closet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in your closet. I mean, I totally would have it in my closet. That's, you know, the smallest place out of the way. You know, you have a little force field to help me feel like I'm moving around. It'd be cool. Uh -huh. A long time ago on the USS Victory, and I barely remembered this, but one of our chief science officers was named Keta Tall, uh -huh. T-A-L, and she was a trill. Okay and i had forgotten that until just now <laughs> but there it is the tall symbiont again they give us the plot of the episode in an interesting way the conference plot reveal is what we do <laughs> yeah. because we know we're developing this new era in star trek where we ha definitely have to get together and talk about the situation did i say new era because it's not we used to do the next generation we used to do it on new space <laughs> the time exposition of the episode yeah. the same way because we time. we have to do we're going to explain what we're going to do it and then we do it and then we explain what we've done. That's that's your episode of Star Trek for you. Did you notice how Booker just walked right Dude, in? I did notice this. And I wondered, how often can a civilian just walk into a high-level command staff meeting? Like, are these not marked? Are there no guards? Like, what's, what's happening here? Is there no security? Are they on the station? Like, are they on Federation One? Because, like, what if Osiris just walks in? Can, can she do that? One thing I want to mention, are you ready? I don't, I don't know. Book is now by default the ambassador to his planet. There is still technically a celestial body there. It's uninhabitable right now, but he is by default the only survivor left. So therefore he's the ambassador of his planet. So of course he could just walk right in. He has ambassadorial status. And they're talking about Oh, his oh, oh, I didn't understand which. Earl Grey fixed the thing. Okay, I got you. I didn't, I didn't realize it before, but now that you mention it, that makes total sense. He is an entire governing body. 
So by that measure, so when Captain RL yeah. shows up, he can just walk into any high federal, high level Federation meeting because he is the representative of a question mark. <laughs> well, I mean, we have no idea. As far as he's assuming, everybody's still around somewhere. He just he evidently has, is hit the uh, amnesia trope. Ah, gotcha. He probably woke up someday in the uh, prison and doesn't know how he got there and doesn't know who his people are or who he is really other i mean i guess he still has his memory we're of his name. doing the wrong show right now we're doing <laughs> the wrong show so they talk a lot about the uh anomaly yes they say stuff like they've never seen anything like this before yes something that can change and it can move in different directions and it's rippling through the universe like a ribbon of wait a second wait a second did everybody forget about the nexus <laughs> hold on no. Wait, did someone say something about the Barzan wormhole? Well, uh, I mean, neither of those were five five light years wide. Did anybody read the Genesis wave? <laughs> Admittedly, I did not. Yeah, well, the Genesis wave was. You remember the little wave? Remember the Genesis device? Well, the Genesis Genesis device was like paired with warp technology. Yeah. Right. So it yeah. made a Genesis wave that would like wash through like places and make them like a, a wash with life mm -hmm. right so it'd be like a like a whole dead system and it'd just be like life 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 uh -huh. but it also if there's something else there already then it destroys that and you have new life new life new life yeah on this at this warp speed wave thing it uh -huh. was a pretty interesting series of books it was fun in those next gen era. The, the yeah, the next okay. gen era. I mean I remember the series coming out. I just don't remember I, I never read it. Yeah, it was good. It was cool. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of Jordy. Yeah. There are a couple points that were made in the meeting that I really liked and what is going on with my screen. Oh, do tell. One of the things I was curious about is uh why are Starfleet captains all speaking at once and out of turn? I mean, aren't they trained professionals? Wouldn't they have wait until they had an ability to actually talk or write to talk? Apparently you've never done but, a podcast before. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, not that we're trained professionals. I mean, but have you ever worked with trained professionals? I mean, there's only two of us, so in order to get a word in, why sometimes we have to interrupt each other. But, okay, so they're talking about a crisis. I don't remember if it was the Pre the Vulcan president or the Ninevar president or whatever the planet name is now. Oh, it's called Navar. Don't be a racist. I'm not. There's Romulans and Vulcans that live there. Yeah, I know. I wasn't being serious. Please just continue. Right. She says, a crisis such as this requires all to contribute. And I'm like, damn, are you talking about the COVID crisis or the climate change crisis or the double black hole crisis. Uh-huh. Take your shots, recycle your yeah. bottles, and fucking walk. Yeah. Thank you. Like, That's all she was saying. Know, That's girl. all she's saying. But these governments are coming together. They're agreeing to work together and help each other out to like and then like Saru says later on, to have a oneness and a unified strategy. Oh, so he's bringing his 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 message from his village to the masses. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so pretty. Are we trying to um, make our message this episode blatant about how we should have responded to uh, these 
crises in the last couple of years with oneness and unification? You know, I, I do feel like this episode is probably because it's this nameless, shapeless, non-understandable blob at first yeah. that's just coming for us to like take us apart. So I could see this speaking to coronavirus or climate change. Mm -hmm. Did you notice when the Federation president was talking about Federation and non-Federation worlds? Yes. And they showed the... The guys in black? Yeah, the guys in black. What was it? Who were they? I don't know. And I wish they had showed more of them, but they showed them like in a frame and then moved on and we got like little expression from them. I'm sure millions of people have already paused the moment. Mm -hmm. I wasn't pausing the moment. I looked, I, I watched the episode like several times mm -hmm. and it just didn't give me that. I wasn't that interested. There were many moments, I'll, I'll shamelessly admit, that I paused to, you know, see things more clearly, such as the last moments of the episode. Oh, and also the, the pop. I also watched the pop, pop several times through very slowly. So there are places on the bridge that emit sparks and there's places mm -hmm. on the bridge that emit flame. And like at random times, the fire guy just like pushes the fire button and there's like three or four specific places where like flames pop out. And then like, like all there the There are also times. places on the br bridge that apparently emit rocks. Yeah, there's the rock emitter and the flame emitter and the spark emitter. And when you're at red, when you're at red alert, the spark emitter starts immediately. And then whenever you're hit, the flame emitter moves because that's part of the inertial dampener system. You see, it's like a, it's like sort of like an internal thruster. It kind of like pushes in the opposite direction of the thrust. But yeah, the flames popping off behind her head. Like she'll say a line and then flames pop off behind her head. She's like Kevin Hart dropping flames on these bitches. <laughs> Instead of dropping microphones. Just drop fire. Bow. I really like the update to the uh, Ferengi makeup too. Speaking of the guys in the black robes. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the update of the Ferengi. Like we did, did we really need to streamline the Ferengi? Like the Ferengis are very unique. And it's a, like a legacy look that, that well, I mean, I, here I am being, you know, a Star Trek snob, you know, but like, that could have been a different species. I think that it's just a variation in their appearance. Like humans have a variation in their appearance or Vulcans have variations in their appearance or not all Klingons have the same forehead. Sure. Maybe that Ferengi augmented their ears. Maybe they wanted to alter them on purpose. And the darker skin was just darker skin because- I didn't notice skin. the darker yeah. skin. Are you serious right now? See what I'm saying? Yeah, just a little racist adjacent. Had, huh? Just slightly racist adjacent. Like I, that intentionally like I didn't notice the color, or the like the tone of the skin at all. It I was just looking at the shape of the head. Uh, all right, that I don't think that was racist. Phrenology is neither is not valid either. So phrenology. Yeah, phrenology, the study of the bumps on the person's head that they used to use to like determine the intelligence of someone or like the yeah. personness of an individual. I wasn't referencing that, but I, I was. Oh, okay. You know, there, there's been a theme of uh, Tilly, Tilly and Saru walking down a hall and, and talking. I did notice that, is, that, that this episode, that's a thing now. Like, that's a, that's a thing. And, and, and I appreciate that just in a few words, they're able to catch up and they're able to make sure that they're okay with each other. Yeah. You know, Saru knows that he's, he's stepping on her feet or on her toes right now. I mean, it's possible this is a function of of Tilly too because you know she's talking to Culber in much the same way as they do the hallway walk okay 
Um, she also does the same walk with with uh, Burnham often. I just want to know when when does she get in the point to say, "Hey, <laughs> bitch, you took my job." Yeah, I. This is about. I don't understand why that didn't happen. <laughs> like, why she wasn't <laughs> like. I thought that was going to happen. Like, someone said something about the obvious question, and I was. I was. That's what I was expecting. I was fully expecting her to ask, "What is up with my job? What? Why would you do that?" Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is where Tilly actually did voice what we're all thinking is, Saru, did you get taller? Mm, yeah, I didn't think that at all. Didn't think it at all. Uh, so we get to the anomaly. Well, do we, like, I mean, we do, I guess, because we did that colorized polar filter. Well, I mean, the, the freaking thing is five light years big, so, yeah, we get to it. Oh yeah, probably I guess. within a light year of it or whatever. Well, no, if it's five light years across, then you have to be able to see all five light years to see the whole thing, right? So you would be probably more than five light years away from it, also, wouldn't you? It's five light years. She she got them as close as they could. They actually wanted to get as close as they could so they could get better sensor reading. So she okay. said, "Keep us within the green zone, okay. the safe zone, so we don't get sucked in, pulled in." Whatever. So I also was expecting because that's what we talked about was a binary a binary black hole. So I was expecting to see, you know, uh, energies massing around uh, of a, a void, mm -hmm. you know, a black voidish area. So basically, the energies would be describing the voidish area, and the voidish area just wouldn't be anything. You know what I mean? And I thought that it was going to be really cool looking. Well, I, I like that they applied a filter so that we knew that what we were looking at wasn't what was really visually available to them yeah so you know i thought that i thought for a moment that we were having a cgi issue because occasionally mm -hmm. we have cgi issues i think we had cgi issues when we tried to cgi the bird right that uh that book was fast forwarding and rewinding on his uh on his dash cam uh -huh. because it looked cgi to me I think that last episode we had issues where we had, instead of having a, an individual with, you know, tennis balls all over their body, like doing actions that were Burnham walking around the outside of the escape hatch, uh -huh. like I think, and we used a CGI character that was like modeled and rigged instead, I think mm -hmm. that that was a mistake. <laughs> so I just think, I think that we have some CGI issues with this show. I don't know if we did because we already showed the binary black holes of a model of what they thought yeah, it would look like. Right. So this is the thing. So like when I first saw it, I thought, oh, we're having CGI issues again. Okay. And I didn't realize, oh, it's part of the story that I'm not supposed to be able to understand what the hell I'm seeing. So I wonder, yeah. like, were they making a joke? about themselves <laughs> like you're gonna show you this mess oh no it's supposed to be a mess this time because <laughs> i kind of felt like we had issues remember when we had like a million shuttles that were like escorting burnham and they're like all this little tiny stuff flying around we were about to jump into the wormhole into the 31st century there's like all these little tiny crafts like the enterprise apparently ejected like eighty-five thousand escape crafts <laughs> right and like all these little tiny ships flying around and like for my screen i don't have an 8k screen okay so like it kind of looked look like a, a massive like on some screens it looked like a massive mass massive mass you know and i just really couldn't like make out distinguish one object from another so i thought mm -hmm. this was you know uh an, an hd you know 4k upsampling yada 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 <laughs> issue 
though. It was kind of a relief to realize, oh, they, oh, this is on purpose. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Fourth season, we hit our stride, and this time we do CGI badly on purpose. (laughs) We know how badly this is going to come out, so we might as well just write it into the story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and as soon as they start to figure out how to scan inside of it, Book gets that look on his face, like I could totally fly into that. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go jump into that thing right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> plus it may may kill me, so I'll be with my all my relatives. Anyway. Yeah, like it's not like anybody's gonna notice. Yeah. It's just I'm why just did... the last of my kind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why did they even mention the dots and putting sensors on the dots? What's wrong with a freaking probe? They used to shoot probes into things all the time. Yeah, this is true. I don't know why, and I don't know why. Yeah, that's what a probe is for, right? Exactly. Yeah, why haven't we? We aren't really using probes anymore. We're really using dots more than probes, I think. That's cool. I'm a, uh, I, I mean, guess. maybe we just want our little uh, Star Trek versions of R2-D2 and stuff. Hey, we have a CGI team. We're going to use the CGI team. He's talking about a fucking probe. Yeah, that's prop mess. That's the prop people. The prop people make probes. Like, come on. And the the CGI team just makes like a dot of light on the screen to 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 indicate a probe. So like, we're doing we're doing a real probe that CGI can do. It's gonna be fun. So um, they kind of figure out what to do, and Mm -hmm. but but Michael is totally just gonna send somebody else because she's trying to protect him for sure. Yeah. But it's like, at first I'm like, well, wait a minute, why? She's never even flown his ship. I don't even think she, Detmer has even been inside of his ship. She has. Remember, she flew his ship up and around Osiris' ship. Remember, like, real fast around Osiris' ship. Uh, Here's the thing, though. Oh, that's right. She did the uh, pew, 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 fighter pilot thing. Yeah, exactly. Real close. Okay. So here's the thing, though, is that Burnham not letting Book go shows that she hasn't learned anything from last episode. Yeah. Because once again, she was willing to put the good of the one before the good of the many. Because uh-huh. Book should have been the one to go. It's Book's ship. Mm-hmm. Book, Book's going to know how to make it respond. It should be Book. Book. It just makes sense for Book to do it. Yeah. But she's like, oh, no, I'm going to protect Book because he's the last of yada yada. Yeah. No, you're doing one before many again. I, I like how Book handled it, though, because instead of calling her out in front of everybody and calling into her, you know, just dropping the mic or whatever he says just politely captain can i talk to you yeah yeah and very calmly does that and she doesn't say yeah just a minute let me do this or whatever and shove him off so she does it you know. it speaks to the depth of their love for one another that he has the respect not to call her out in front of anybody and yeah. you know show that there's any you know thing negative between them and it yeah. shows the depth of her professionalism to go ahead and step away and have that moment mm-hmm. with him to you know to to make sure that but, like that's not happening in front of her crew because she knows it's about emotion yeah and the whole time they're talking or arguing or whatever in the uh, ready room i'm sitting there thinking michael just say it just say why you don't want to send him Say those three little words. They're simple little words. They're eat. I this love up. you. <laughs> what were you gonna say? I I don't know. I thought we were doing a different show. Uh, are you sure you weren't trying to make our show take our show from a VMA um, to something higher? Right in the middle of all this stuff going on. Yeah. We do a wild ass cut, right? 
Yeah. To yeah, a totally do. unrelated scene. <laughs> All of a sudden, we're down in sickbay. Yeah, uh, and for no reason. We're in sickbay, but we're also, if you remember, we're in. We're on the hollow deck, right, with Data, and trying <laughs> to get Data, trying to get Lol, Data's first daughter, the one, you know, the the. Is she? Would you call her? She was. Well, I guess she was just a, a young, a young death. Um, but uh. Yeah, same scene. So we're looking at, we're choosing a body, right? Yeah. Choosing a gender. <sighs> yeah, well, we didn't, we haven't expressly said that, but we all know what's happening here, right? Is it clear? Uh, yeah. I mean, it seems that that's what's happening. And and we even, like, lightly touched it by doing the mole thing. That was cutesy. So I just have this feeling Oh, that, wait a minute. Is that why they were removing the mole? Yeah, man, I have a feeling cutter? that... Uh-huh. In the future, we're going to be refer referring to Gray's penis as the mole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but wait. And since Hal totally calls Gray he. Yeah, because Gray goes by he, him, his pronouns at the moment. Okay. I mean, doesn't that mean that aren't they a trans male? Who, Gray? Yeah. Gray's a male. Anatomically, at birth, he... Gray was a male. That's my understanding. So, and it, right now, Gray wants to be in a. He wants to have a vagina. That is my prediction. Okay. I thought it was the other way around because a transgender male wants to have a penis. So, why would you erase Gray's mole? Right. Gray is a. Right, because Gray has a penis right now. Mm. I don't think Gray wants one a penis when he reincorporates. Well, then that makes Gray a transgender female. Until such time the transition is complete, and then she's just a woman. Well, yeah. Or is reincorporated into Data 3.0 or 4.0 or whatever. So I gotta tell you, I liked the muddling of the history and how it was like, oh, Dr. Soom put this Starfleet Admiral into the first one. I'm like, okay, so that's close. And, but I guess it's been a thousand years, so that's okay. Like, that's exactly how I want that history to come off to a thousand years later. They just left out the fact that they did have successful androids, but they also, they just kind of skipped that, all that. They just mentioned that... Oh, they, no, we were only talking about putting... Like, a, a different consciousness into yeah, the yeah, yeah the new body so, so that's why you brought up a card yeah that's why I brought up a card mm -hmm. did you think that Ensign Tall was totally doing a uh, Sir Stewart impression when she said how do you mean when when, she, when they uh, went into that that little brief line about living forever kind of like doing the little muahaha look and I'll live forever oh 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 I see. Yeah, Gray's body won't be living forever because that's, uh, you know, been built into it the same way that it's been built into Picard. But yeah, and that's just like Stam. So Stamets, Stamets has joined the beard club. I don't know if you noticed this because he didn't have a beard before, and now he has a full-on beard. Uh, he he joins the ranks with the beards, just like Riker. So this is so this is now the, he's now the Riker of the show. Pretty soon he's going to be step swinging his legs over chairs. <laughs> Because his back hurts because his uniform sucks. Right. Yeah. It was, he had like a sort of a line one, but it's, it's, it's fuller now. You mentioned Stamets' beard. And did you notice that between 
last season and this season, I'm pretty sure that Stamets picked up a whole bunch of uh, gray in in their hair and in their beard. It, or is that my imagination? They had that last season. I no, I don't think he had all the hair. Like he had less beard, so it was less visible. Is what I'm getting at. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's why. Uh, we go from holograph in a real room mm-hmm. to a real person in a hollow room. Oh, wait, that that wasn't a... Didn't they... Wasn't that the finished body? They just were altering it? Oh, that wasn't holographic? I don't know. I thought it I, was... It was a, I thought it was body. shiny, like it was a hologram, like glowing. It, I mean... Was that supposed to be in it? I'm confuzzled. Or, so, so it's a holographic recreation of what they're going to build when yeah, they I, build the data body for, I think that's right. what it was about I thought it was the data body and they were just making some final changes that's interesting I didn't know that there were other takes on it hmm. well I think the part of that is because I imagined that the body's going to have uh, a lot of change before it's finalized because I thought that it was going to go it was going to change genders so if it's finalized then I hmm. I don't know, man. Well, I mean, obviously, the doctor was able to really easily remove that mole, even if it was a final body. You know, some cosmetic changes could be very easy to do in a body like that. You just unreplicate it. This thing, this thing is a, mm-hmm. this thing is a fact. Yeah. So, did you notice that when Saru finally does em- enter, though, did, does it look like uh, there's a double door system to the captain's captain's room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's she. She lives in uh, ten forward. <laughs> And it, and it makes the it makes the heavy sound. It makes the heavy, you know, like the shuttle bay doors up. And and those light shelves. That's where she stores her uh, her little uh, model shuttlecrafts and model starships. Like you know, like they have yeah, on I lower mean, decks. Yeah, yeah, the, the golden. Uh, uh, what's the name? The USS the Cerritos. She has a golden Cerritos sitting on her on herself. I guess. No. But, the, the the what was Picard's first ship? Stargazer. Yeah, that's where she puts her Stargazer model. Yeah, that's where she puts her her Shin show. I think her Stargazer would be the Discovery though, her first captain. See right? Well, <laughs> so, I don't know if you want to put the ship you're on inside the ship you're on, but I guess that's cool. I don't know. It'd <laughs> be kind of trippy. But I mean, I guess you you could put the original version of Discovery. Right, yeah. the one with the connected warp nacelles. There you go. The Discovery mm-hmm. 1.0 and right, right. Discovery pre-A but 2.0. Yeah, the pre-Zora. I wonder how much work there was to get around Zora while they were upgrading. Did Zora sometimes get in the way? Was Zora like, ow, oh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the character of Zora and I wish they would use her more. I do too. I hope that they're going to use her a lot. I don't think that they use any characters enough. Like, I feel like, okay, so here's what I, I kind of had this idea, and I wonder if we could do it. So, like, I wanted to pick a character and write down their lines for each episode uh-huh. and then review what lines they had this episode. Because there's a funny thing about that I like to do with Law and Order Special Victims Unit, where, uh-huh. you know, Ice T, especially in the years when Ice T, like, was just there to be there, and, like, he didn't have very many lines. Like, he'd have, like, one line in an episode. Oh, and, like, like a line where they're, or in an episode where they're focusing on the other uh yeah well partner. this this happened a lot though like like there'd be like whole seasons where like each episode he'd have a line like get on the ground loser like that's his <laughs> whole line for the episode <laughs> so like the same thing is true with like lieutenant price so lieutenant price 
and Lieutenant Reese actually very they have very few lines to say. Bryce actually said a lot this episode. It was like Yeah, he did. I would like to find one of those characters and see uh what little lines they say. Okay. It might be over with Bryce. He might be getting enough following on the internet because I've been trying to blow up Ronnie Rice on the internet about this discovery because he's really good on discovery and I like him being on discovery. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have a hypothesis about uh, Zora too. So, what if? Oh, Zora... you hold on, hold on. That's not what we call it, sir. I it took me a second to realize what it was called. Remember what it was called? That, my friend, was. Here's Earl Grey's hypostulations. Enjoy the show. Okay, fine. What if the short track where Zora takes the name, what if that was like a split somehow, where when they're traveling through time, when they're going through the temporal wormhole, the, the ship kind of splits into kind of its own personal split reality? And the version where she's just told to hold your position, and she says to, to what's-his-face from the short track that I've been here for a thousand years. Maybe that's the same exact Zora and Discovery as the one that's traveling through time, and they merge right as soon as they get to their current present. Am I making I get what you're saying. Uh, I get what you're saying. I the curiouser and curiouser. That would mean that would place craft in Discovery's current time. Then is what you're suggesting. Yeah, it would also well, it also sort of put craft in Discovery's past in a way. So craft would come aboard the Discovery sometime after they left the 23rd century, but before they arrived in... Oh, before it merges back together. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Very interesting idea. This has been Earl Grey's Hypostulations. <laughs> I, I thought it was so comical looking at Saru sitting in that chair in the uh, ready room because he looks like an adult sitting in a, in a kindergarten class sitting in a chair made for a five-year-old. Have you recently at all like sat in a kid's chair? No. Oh my gosh. So sitting in a kid's chair. First of all, I usually like if I sit in a kid's chair and I stand up, the chair's stuck to me still. And then like sitting in a kid's chair makes you fall over backwards. So I don't know if you oh. notice it, but Saru is sort of leaning over forward. Uh-huh. So he doesn't fall because he's got the heels on for some reason still. Like, why do you have the heels? Like, you could have taken the heels off. <laughs> and then he sat down. Like, they have the cameras stop and start. Like, you could pause it, yeah. take the shoes off, and then roll it back up again. Well, species with digitigrade feet, they can't put their whole foot on the ground. The, the tendons just don't flex that way anymore. Okay, so I, I, was, I wasn't I was talking about Saru. I was talking about Doug Jones. Oh. Like, Doug oh, Jones could have oh, just okay. taken the damn, you know, heels off. <laughs> Why are you wearing your heels still? Like, take it off. Take that shit off so you can sit down. And you have to be, like, all, like, squishy, squishy bald. Because <laughs> that's what he, that's clearly how he was sitting. He was just definitely sitting very squishy bald. <laughs> oh, squishy bald, yeah. Yeah, this has been Jack Dorino's new words. Squishy bald. <laughs> Ouch. 
so then they go down to engineering and talk to Stamets about uh, what they want to do to, you know, because Saru has come up with the idea to tether bookship and how they're going to send Stamets as well. And Stamets totally calls them out on, you guys, every single time you, you want to send the XO and the CO down to the planet, uh-huh. the only two people that can fly the ship and, and, and you're, you're doing it again. This is Starfleet. This is what we do. He's just reminding them of it. He should have done a list of names. He should have been like, okay, so oh, so now you're going to send Picard and Riker? Oh, now you're going to send Kirk and Picard? I mean, Kirk and Spock? Yeah. Oh, now you're going to send Janeway and Chakot? Oh, now you're going to send Cisco and Doris? <laughs> yeah, and that other guy, too. Oh, now you're going to send the Vulcan girl and her, you know, the dog owner. <laughs> Uh, I liked his butt. You liked his butt? They, is that what you just said? Up. You clearly just said you liked his butt. <laughs> that is what I mean, you said. One hundred percent. percent. So, blow me out in airlock. Yeah, he, he's like, you guys may as well just blow me out in airlock. Yeah, it's the time. It was exactly the time to make the blow me out of an airlock joke because, like, yeah, we don't just... know. We, I was concerned about like what their encounter was, what their relationship was going to be after that moment because we really haven't really seen them interact. So I'm glad it was him that brought it up instantly. Like, oh, it's not like you could blow me out of airlock, yeah. you hag. <laughs> And, and but of course uh michael does have a good solution to that and she's like well no we're just not going to actually send you we're going to send a holographic projection of you yeah and i'm like well gee why haven't they thought of this before and just done this before they could have yeah. done that instead of and furthermore why not send book as a holographic projection as well that's a good point. <laughs> Thank you. I was wondering the whole time, like, why are we sending a clearly suicidal man into a place where it could be easy to have an accidental suicide, quote unquote, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Seems a little risky. Like, why don't we just send a hologram of him like we're doing with our engineer that we don't want to lose, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, instead of like, you know. It would be a good idea to make sure that book comes back because you don't only want to rely on quote the only person who can fly the ship they would kind of want both of them there just in case somebody's in sick bay or something or gets the covid covid 23 well, why would you put them both on that why not just have two neural transmitters but yeah yeah is this like some elitist medicine that the doctor is squirreled away to only use them as partner and he's like no screw you captain we only have one, okay? And I, my guy's getting it, not your guy. <laughs> On the other hand, maybe the, I mean, the neurotransmitter, the doctor makes it sound like he will feel exactly everything and touch exactly uh-huh. everything. Yep. As Emmett says when he gets there that he can feel it. Oh, it's so smooth, yada, yada. It's so great. It's like I'm here. I figured it out. Thorough great figures out a thing. <laughs> Book wouldn't let it happen anyway because grudge hates holograms where was grudge this whole time was grudge with them when they get to the ship Mm -hmm. stamets tries to reach out and pet pet the cat and he's like don't do that yeah that's you totally hates holograms yeah she can't smell you yeah i forgot about this so if book was doing the same thing not only would she react to him the same way but she'd probably feel even more betrayed because it's like you're my daddy 
I don't want your, you, you know, you're, you're my, my person or my, my help. I don't want you. Why, why are you betraying me like this? Gotcha. I thought it was a nice transition. Great framing when they left the ship. The one thing I didn't understand though, is uh, why didn't they point the aft section toward mm -hmm. the anomaly mm -hmm. for launch? Mm -hmm. Why do they make it so hard on the small craft? Like, why do they always do yeah. that? They, they're never considerate with their ship. Don't you know you have a big old ship? Like, get it out of the way, turn it around, make it convenient. Like, guys, mm -hmm. you point your open shuttle bay door that never closes toward the <laughs> object that the shuttles are trying to get to. Yeah. No need, because the shuttlecrafts don't morph around the ship, so you might as well just, like, make it easy on them. <laughs> What the heck, heck hell holds your horses? One of the things I did hypostulate... Hypostulations. <laughs> exactly. Launching the ship with the aft section facing away from the anomaly and forcing the pilot to fly around the ship and over the ship allows the pilot to take some time to orient him themselves rather than flying directly, launching directly into the anomaly. Well, I'm not sure if this show is high postulations or Earl Grey fix is a thing. I think we're still. I think it's still Earl Grey fix is a thing. I think maybe high postulations is like the beta release of Earl Grey fix is a thing, and then like once we're sure that it's alpha ready, then we go to it becomes Earl Grey fix is a thing. But originally and initially, it's high postulations. <laughs> like our weekend show like our weekend compilation shows can be Earl Grey Fix is a thing and then like the daily show will just be like high postulations and we'll pick the high best high postulations of the week and present them on our Saturday show I'll join for the Tuesday show we, we could collect them all together and into like a compilation at some point that people would have to um, you know Oh, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Let's oh, okay. move on. Were you surprised? Surprised? That there was a physical, actual, like, tether made of... It was that they made our hologram, our holographic rope. They made it. I don't know if you saw that. Do you see it? The holographic rope that we were just talking about. They put the mobile emitter on the rope, and they attached it to Book's ship, what? and then they let his ship go out. That's the holographic rope. What I don't understand is what was it? Was it a hologram or was it like no? It's programmable, programmable matter. matter? What yeah, it? it was programmable matter. Huh? It was programmable oh. matter. But we also established in this episode that we can interchange holograms into programmable matter and probably back and forth. So it might as well have been a hologram. So once again, Star Trek has stolen another one of my ideas. They definitely just stole the holographic rope from me. What happens if you put a mobile emitter on programmable matter? <laughs> Does it make a real person? <laughs> Ooh. Why, thank you. So there's a secret mission behind this uh, exploration of the anomaly. Booker is out of rocks. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's, he's out there gathering rocks. Yeah. That's why he wanted to. That's why we had to morph, because you know what he does with his rocks. So some rocks go into the, you know, the bulkheads, right? They go behind the bulkheads. And then some rocks, you feed the rocks into the vehicle replicator because he has to make a new escape pod. Oh. Right, because he destroyed his escape pod. Okay, last sure. So he has to get a bunch of rocks <laughs> and smelt the bitches down in the transporter. Does the transporter mm -hmm. make a smell? Hey. 
Possibly, but why? Why would Because it? it's taking things apart. Like, ooh, does it smell like someone just died in there? <laughs> after you have you transport away, does it smell like death? <laughs> You know, like some dogs like roll around like in like dead squirrel. Like maybe O'Brien just really <laughs> likes the smell of death. <laughs> That's why he enjoys being a transporter operator. So that... well, it'd be so hilarious if one time, you know, that black stuff that you always see on the cop dramas, they wipe it under the nose when they find the dead body. And they go what? to look at the dead body. Fingerprint powder? No, the 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 black goo that they wipe under their nose when they're going to go look at the black what? box, the dead body in a cop show. We're so looking at different shows. With, oh, oh, oh! I thought you were saying they wipe it on the dead body's nose. I was like, what shows <laughs> no, are you watching? No, no. What? <laughs> the cops, the cops that are looking at the dead body, wipe the black. But goo again, underneath what the shows are you watching? I don't think anybody's done that since 1962. <laughs> what are you even watching? What's going on? I mean, Are you watching Dragnet what again? What are they doing now? I mean, has they, have, they, have they invented a better way to block the smell of a dead body? Yeah, you just cover your nose. <laughs> what? <laughs> we're all wearing masks already. Good. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's... That, O'Brien just does that. He, he wears that all the time, and it's in... In the same, it's makeup in the same cover color as his skin, so you don't really notice. Well, you know, he also could just like he could put the cone of invisibility on the on the transport operator pad, so that you know he could talk to his wife while he's at work. You know, <laughs> like I don't remember the cone of invisibility. It's it's it oh it's it'll be here shortly. It's on oh, its way okay. into this episode. Oh okay. Oh, I think it's a sphere when it's on the bridge. Yes, I I think it is something else completely. They lose gravity, artificial gravity on the ship. Yeah, man, I'm gonna call this the pop. You're gonna call it the pop? Yeah, because they just like pop up in the air. Oh right. And a couple times, hey. and we just like spin around them and so like we did a whole like oh, matrix man, sort of thing. Pop. You know how the toast comes out of the toaster? Ping, they're done. <laughs> they wish they had put that sound effect. They could have been like a ding. <laughs> And she starts asking for status reports, and it, it's like he, you can't look around <laughs> and like, see that you're not the only one like, floating in the air. report. Zora. Huh? Status report. Uh, Captain, we're all floating around besides you. What do you mean? <laughs> like, you can see yeah, what's going on. I love. I, How am I supposed to tell you what? What do you mean status report? Like, who could reach that computer? Don't you have a tricorder on your chest? Can't you just pop them out? Why did no one do that? Look, no one used the transporter on their chest. They have a transporter on their chest. No one just like transported to the ground, because the transporter takes you to your last destination, right? So you can just like beep beep, and there you are. And then like. If she wanted a status report, she'd do like the swipe up and she'd get her tricorder and be looking all around. What is going on? <laughs> I I love when they finally ask Zora what's going on. I love her line uh, after the first initial line. And oh, Michael Burnham totally cuts her off and he's like, bitch, quit explaining it. Tell me about it. <laughs> you're, you're over explaining things, computer. What was it? I don't even know what she said. <laughs> 
Zora's line that she says right after that is the next shockwave will be here in now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much, Zora. And they all crash to the ground. What was all the preface for? Like all that the next shockwave is blah blah blah. Like you could have saved all that. You could have been like, hey, Bray, look out. <laughs> like that could have would have helped a whole lot. <laughs> like grab well, onto I, something. Like that would have been quick. And you could well, Yeah. Zora, when's the next shockwave? <laughs> grab your ass right now. <laughs> it's, it's happening. Girl, what? <laughs> like Hold on to your console. Like, Captain, you may yeah. want to use your seatbelt. Yeah, and then it happens again, and they let it happen again, and uh, nobody says... Again? Like, huh, we learned our lesson from that one. Let's wear our seatbelts. No, like, no one thought that. <laughs> and again, second time around, no one was like, oh, I should have used my tricorder. Or like, oh, I could have checked my trance. Like, those <laughs> wires yanked Burnham out of the captain's chair so fast that when it dropped it down, I don't know if you saw it, but when she dropped back down, uh-huh. she landed like, sort of like on her kidney. Really? Like with a oof, and then like rolled over like, oh, that's just, it looked like it really hurt, actually. <laughs> she, she really like bounced her back into the arm of the captain's chair, like at an angle. Yeah, it looked really uncomfortable yeah. when she came down. <laughs> yeah. She, she definitely has I, a bruised kidney right now. Right, she did hit her chair. And roll yeah. off with like the side of her I'm... lower back, yeah, yeah. And Adira cracked a rib apparently on the way down as well. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, maybe someone will invent um, some sort of like tether that can hold them in place. We can tether a whole starship, yeah, to us, but we can't figure out how to tether ourselves to the ground. Like, they should talk to Hollow Janeway, <laughs> Janeway. How do I get my feet on the ground? Like, that's what they should have asked. <laughs> Zora, how do I get my feet so, on the ground? One of the things I was worried about with the uh, cracked rib, I mean, I guess if it's just cracked, it's not all broken all the way to a sharp point. But what if the rib actually punctured the symbiote? Or how about maybe the rib punctures a lung? That too. Well, okay, so I was about to school you on where the symbionts are in the trill species, and I forgot that a deer is symbiont is a new school symbiont that has apparently taken over much of the inside of her body. I don't know how she's not like constantly swollen because the symbionts are really big from the look of it. Or at least according to the images we first saw in like the first, yeah, after she was introduced, they were introduced. Right. And then they would be like, like they should be like the consistency of jellyfish if they were that big and fitting inside. But we all know they're much more like cucumber worm cucumber what are they well, called cucumber snails maybe maybe they're thinking it, it it's like uh crocodile it'll allegedly only grow as big as its containment so since it has the whole body cavity take it just bigger <laughs> like she's merged with that thing like voke is merged to uh, ash tyler she's merged with that thing like uh two changelings in the thing I thought you were about to reference two chains. I was like, oh, oh, I want to see what he's going to say about two chains. Two chains? They're merged like two chains and walk a flucka on a hot ass track. No? Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. We get to see Arium's actress. What? Do we even know the new character's new name with, of Arium without makeup? Remember when Arium <laughs> died? Like the next scene we saw was Lieutenant uh, Nilsson coming onto the bridge. Yeah. And Pike was like, uh, oh, Lieutenant Nilsson, take your place. 
and she took Arium's place. Okay, Lieutenant so, yes, Nelson got Nielsen. a line in this one. N- Nielsen. Nielsen, yes. She's actually had lines pretty much every episode. Like Nielsen ratings? Exactly like that. Exactly like oh, okay. that. Yes, thank you. Uh, exactly like that. Okay. They're like, oh, we can't kill the Nielsen girl off. Then they'll tank our ratings. Oh, but I'm ching. No, no. What's a boson energy transfer unit? You know, I have no idea. Are you talking about that orb that appeared on the desk? Yeah, and he said it's a, oh, is that a boson energy transfer unit? So that makes me think of like Higgs boson? The Higgs boson particle is, I think, also known as the God particle. Okay. I don't know what a boson energy transfer unit is. Mm-hmm. But uh, evidently, it has something to do with transferring energy from Higgs bosons into the ship, using it for energy somehow. Yeah. But haven't I heard the reference to these things before, like back in the 24th century? I don't recall them. Okay. Do you think it's a Deep Space Nine thing? Maybe. Okay. Well, that's been fun. And, and Stamet certainly kind of knew what they were. Here, oh, here, so here's a question. Here's an answer. When did the 23rd century crew catch up with the last 900 years of history? Yeah, I, I wonder that myself. Like, do they know about the Cardassian Bajoran whole thing, the occupation and all that? Yeah. Stamets apparently knows about the the synth technology. Yeah. And that was all, that was all, they skipped past all that. Mm-hmm. But yes, the question is when. Because they've kind of had non-stop adventure ever since see, for all of season three and now. I'm going to answer that question for 500 points, please. Go go ahead. Last Tuesday. That's when they updated themselves on all Federation history for the past 900 years. I will give you 250 can I tell you something? I think that if sure. in 900 years there aren't starships and people floating and like floating mass islands, like I'm going to be very upset. Floating mass ma- islands? What? Like, just there's, there better be a lot of like neat stuff that I have never seen. There also better be some things that are endemic to society a thousand years from now that I never would have thought of. But, well, you, you not, can't think of literally what I just said. Like, there better be things that I just can't even imagine. But are like obvious and helpful. So like a hundred years ago, nobody would have ever thought of the internet. Are you sure? Or like, how about nanites that like live in your mouth and clean your teeth for you? I mean, I wouldn't mind that. That would be awesome. <laughs> never have to brush your teeth again, and never have to worry about cavities either. Exactly, and your everyone's teeth would be bright white all the time, and perfectly clean. Mm-hmm. See, these are these cutting edge ideas that I that I that I have, and then a few years later they appear. <laughs> So you just stand by for your nano teeth, nano dentites is what we're going to call them. We already have communicators that flip open. Yes, we do. We already have small screens that you can tap on that are personal access display devices. Yes, we do. And when we have multiple sizes of those. Yes, we do. We're working on invisibility. We are. We are working on cloaking technology. And. I myself have a Bluetooth com badge that connects to, you know, a personal access and display device should I want to communicate with the crew of the starship that is orbiting the planet and waiting for my mm-hmm. away mission to end. And, and I think we're starting to experiment with 
turning matter into energy and energy back into matter. I'm waiting until we turn straw into gold. gold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, sir, is what the Philosopher's Stone is for. By the way, it is the Philosopher's Stone, not the Sorcerer's Stone. That's a piece of fiction. The Philosopher's Stone is a real thing that allegedly exists that people were on the hunt for. A real thing that allegedly existed is what he said, ladies and gentlemen. I just want well, to point out what that this, I, it, these are the it, words it, that came out of his mouth. A real thing that allegedly existed. <laughs> okay, so... You know what was a real thing that allegedly existed? It, it's, a, it's a real... JFK Jr. returning from the grave in Dallas to announce that he would be running as Donald Trump's vice president. That was a real thing that allegedly existed as well. What I'm saying is... The Philosopher's Stone was something that people were really thought existed. It's something that they were really looking for. And it's the thing that allegedly could change straw into gold. Did they find it yet? I, evidently not. Oh, maybe they're just not telling us. Maybe the reptilians just aren't telling us. So one thing about the tether is that it gives Michael time to come to terms with the decision that she's made. It gives her a safety net. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Saru realizes that what that's what she needed at, at that point in time. <laughs> to, to not fully commit. To not fully commit so that she could fully commit subconsciously. Okay. All right. So she's already, she's like, she's like baby stepping into it. Yeah. She's baby stepping into it. Okay. Speaking of baby steps. Sure. There's, <laughs> there's a child in the screen. There's a little kid just running around the ship all of a sudden. It's a hallucination, obviously. It's a, it's a hologram. You think it's a hologram? No, I don't think it's a hologram. Oh, okay. No, I don't think it's a hologram at all. I just think that he's uh, he's losing it. Yeah, yeah, it's totally a hallucination. It's a PTSD kind of flashback kind of thing. I wonder if the Discovery could bestow a personality onto the ship's computer of Book's ship as well. Oh, ooh, that's a good question. And then, like, all the shuttles have different personalities. <laughs> Oh, and they're all be mad cool. because like we threw all of their brothers into like the fray yeah. as we jumped into the future oh my god they had to <laughs> offload all of the old shuttlecrafts because all the old shuttlecrafts were angry with the discovery crew so they got all new shuttlecrafts that's why they have the new brand new work so piece. they act all snobby to each other like high school teenage girls was it important for the for the tether to snap back for the programmable matter to retract into the ship well they have to it can't it, yes it was Okay. They only have a certain amount of programmable matter. They, I mean, they, otherwise they can't reprogram it to something else. Oh, okay. Right. Eventually, if you just cut it loose, you're, you're going to have nothing left. I wonder who makes programmable matter. Is it Ant-Man? I thought it was the Atom. Oh, it could be both. Maybe they work in concert. Isn't there like a whole Ant-Man team family? Yeah, but as far as Adam and Ant-Man, they're uh, one's DC and one's uh, Marvel. Yes, I understood that. Oh, okay. But yeah, there's Ant-Man, there's Wasp. They both kind of work on... Use uh, the same there we are. Isn't there like a Wasp girl or something? I think... Or an oh. Ant lady? Actually, there's a, a version of Wasp in the DC Universe, and I think her name is also Wasp or Aunt Queen Bee or... Queen Bee? Or just Worker Bee. I don't know. Okay. She can shrink and shoots lasers. 
as bees do. Yeah. During this episode, we've tried many, many times. Samitson, Samitson tries several times to have this heart to heart with book. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, that first time was that was clumsy. Like the man just lost his entire planet, and you're like, "Well, what about our relationship? <laughs> Let's be friends." He's like, "Holmes, I just lost everything, and you're worried about you." He doesn't even really want to talk to them, yeah. And plus, your dumbass is here. You get a little hologram thing. They don't even care enough about enough about me to get me a little hologram thing. I gotta be actually here in person. This well, is bullshit. You know, I mean, what if they offered it to him and he turned it down? I mean, if he turned it down, then they could have said, "Okay, well, no." You're not turning it down. No, you're staying here. What? <laughs> Going on the ship to risk your life? You're the only Quajanian left that we know of. No, we're not yeah. going on the ship. The the only thing is, is I I uh, when when book is like the whole uh, you have you you haven't talked to me in like this much in like five months. Yeah. Why do you all of a sudden want to talk now? Mm-hmm. This to me, it's reminiscent of the lower decks episode where Green Tilly and Captain Daughter. Are Indian Mariner. On, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, you're very welcome. Are sent on a fetch quest, and they both kind of realize at the same time that neither of them has spent any time with each other. That the, over the last year they've all spent time with their opposite counterparts, Rutherford and. Um, Is it Boimler? Boimler. Yeah, I. I mean, I get it. I. I too often forget the name of the lead character of the television series. Well, does Lower Decks have a lead character? They're all four of them are kind of lead characters. Oh my gosh! I think Boimler is really the main character. I think it's he's the guy we're supposed I, to see. I think he's kind of intended to be, but yeah. I enjoy all of them. I I like the flat. There's also these also these flashing lights that happen in the back, like just when it's like tense t- thinking moments. I, whoever does the lighting for the ship, like is that a whole officer's position? Like where do you sit on the bridge to control the lighting? Did they just cross to like change places? Like you're not doing the lighting right. Let you let me go get through the lighting. You go do the other thing over here. Uh uh-huh. oh, books bookship has uh flamethrowers as well. I didn't yeah, notice it. Does. Till just yeah. now. There's a pineapple. There's a picture of an LED pineapple on the bosun Where device. Where do you see the pineapple? It's on the bosun device. Book is slowly learning to trust again. But when they're trying to surf the first wave, the timing when he asks, Are you sure? And she has to yell back at him, just go. That amount of time that it took. No, back then when I said now is when I wanted you to go, not two or three, four, ten seconds later. From her captain's chair, it looks like book. she's able to control, like she's able to have the same control that he has. So yeah. once again, why didn't we just put, put a little hollow thing on her forehead and stick her on the ship? And then she I- could have driven it from where she was. Well, she did spend a year with him flying around in his ship. I mean, she's flown his ship before, too. She has. She has. But she can't go out there. She learned last episode she can't go out there. Captain's place is on the bridge. Yeah, in the Cone of Silence. (laughs) Which is totally not stolen from uh, Get Smart. Oh, missed it by that much. Missed it by, like, 40 years (laughs) in television land. But at least this time it's visible. And it's a sphere of silence now. It's, it's yeah, like yeah. it's actually a multi-decahedron of silence. The end of this episode is very, very touching and very emotional. This conversation uh, really made me emotional. It gave you the feels. It gave me all the feels. Yeah. And the the sphere the sphere of silence conversation. A little bit of that, but then when uh, Stamets is like, "We're here," 
I think the the arc of this season might actually be like the last few arcs has been for Michael to get her captaincy. I think this is going to be the episode where this the season where Book actually finally decides that this is my family. This is who I am, and I'm going to join this crew officially. I thought he kind of. Oh, you mean officially? Like yeah, he's going to put on, on officially. Oh. Right now, he's kind of a hired army people. Militia, no. I was gonna go with attaché. No, the uh, it starts. It's an M word. Uh, I I don't I don't know. Minutemen. Mer- or mercenary. Mercenary, sure. Career mercenary. He's a kind of a mercenary for Starfleet and Discovery, and maybe now he'll finally actually join in with his crew and and his family, and he'll be like, "You guys are right this whole time." So I think that might be the story arc, a big part of the story arc for this season. Is books. okay. We'll see. I don't. I don't think the writers had to kill off his entire planet to get there, but okay. Well, yeah, and I'm still kind of casually wondering if they might throw in some temporal cold war in there somewhere and kind of fix some of that, some of the really, really horrendous things that have happened. Like bring Quasar back. Yeah. Huh. Well, this is this is uh, Star Trek, you know. I mean, and there's other there's other things that. I mean, I think. Oh, maybe it was just when we lost the doctor and the husband of Stamets that I was, might have been thinking that some of the temporal cold war could have fixed that too. But oh, okay, I got. Obviously, you. we didn't need to do that. We did just did the uh, uh, evil twin clone thing. We did the spore jank. The uh, the cheering that happens on the bridge when uh, when Book gets out of his little wave thing. Mm-hmm. Is epic, yeah. Because whoever is whoever's in there going woo on the bridge in the background is hilarious. <laughs> that's, that's Jim Shimoda back there. Stamets just didn't want to have to admit that somebody somebody helped him. I guess was the whole mm-hmm. thing that was was about. So finally, on his third time around, mm-hmm. he gets to have the heart to heart that he uh, had been, you know, angling for the whole time, tilting at the windmills well, of a conversation that we finally get to at the end. <laughs> And we talk about our how we how we both tingly. We're both tingly in the same spot. Oh, it's cute. <laughs> Their life isn't on the line anymore, so yeah. they don't have to sit there and focus and try and well, you know run the scanners and fly the ship and not crash into rocks. Sure. They were kind of set on a rock run. Oh, and the first thing he does out of the chair is all but leap into his husband's arms. Sure. And I'm like, that's me. I'm I'm that kind of hugger. I'm like. I'm gonna bear hug you, no matter whether you want one or not. Well, no, that's comfortable. Not if you want, don't want one. I know. <laughs> right. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you amending that part of the statement. There's, there's a lot with going on with grief with Booker here that really touched me. I mean, I recognized a lot of stuff sometimes in me, uh, just sometimes in just general stuff that people do when they fall into grief. Book is, Book is sitting here questioning himself. He's asking all the what ifs and the if onlys. You know, if only I'd saved them. If only I brought them with me. What if, you know, I didn't leave and then I'd be with all my family anyway in the afterlife or whatever. And that's a that's one of the kind of the hardest stages of grief to to get out of. And it's also the easiest one to slip back into it. I know that I do that so many times and so often. Like, 
uh, you know, when my dad died or other other beings in my life that have passed away, I I think, oh, what if I had just noticed that dad had lost interest in something or mm. something like that? Mm. But uh, we we just saw also that uh, Tilly is reaching out to the doctor for and she's actually able to say I need professional help I don't just need to have a walk and talk with somebody for a few minutes yeah something I something I've noticed something I read or maybe it was on the ready room I'm not sure which is that we're sort of leaning Culber this season toward a counselor role so here we starting we're starting it like very quickly like just basically asking him can you be my counselor uh-huh so I, I I think that makes sense because he's kind of like always done that. Like that's been yeah. what he just does naturally. So I'm glad to see that develop for him. Yeah. Because back in his day, there were not ship's counselors. That didn't happen until like a time when they that they skipped over. You're right. I mean, that, yeah. that that's something I think a lot of people keep on forgetting about is they're not from the 24th century. They're not. So some of the things, maybe they, I mean, obviously in the original series did they was there even ever a mention of launching a probe to scan something closer so maybe they just didn't develop probe technology or the mm. modern probe technology wow so that's is it another Ulgrid fixes a thing and wow that is interesting maybe I fixed that is my a own good thing. point they didn't just drop probes all the time yeah huh. although we certainly send out our own probes today all the time so maybe in a real world scenario we've already established that we're not in that that universe well, we're in a different universe you established that the, the vulcans established that is that from cochran established that <laughs> well we're not in 2063 yet well, but didn't the borg thing happen what didn't oh it was the 20, 2063 okay well i take it yeah. all back then i so, forget I mean, we have like for some reason I thought it was 1996. The oh, that was the uh, eugenics wars. Oh, okay. And Greg Cox fixed that. Yeah, because the eugenics wars are nice and quiet. They're they're colder than cold wars. Yeah. <laughs> secret the secret wars, Marvel secret wars. Then we go right into Tall entering her quarters, and the look on her face totally. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Fix it. Fix what? start over we go into then we go into Ensign's Hall walking into their quarters and the look on the of, of pain on their face I immediately was stricken worried that something was wrong with the symbiote well you know they broke they, they cracked a rib I don't remember that ever being fixed I'm, I'm, I guess we should assume that it's been fixed but Incental was reaching for something in their boot when they sat down. They were just taking off their boot. Is that what it was? Yeah, they were just totally. Oh, okay. I thought there was. I they were either slipping something in their boot or like putting, getting something either in or out of their boot, and then Gray popped up and surprised them. Is that where you hide your dope so that you can go into Virginia and not get caught with it? Uh, it's legal in Virginia now too. Oh, okay. So congratulations! <laughs> now it's DC, Maryland, Virginia. Everybody's legal. Yay! And it's not dope. Dope is heroin. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I think at some point in history, just about every form of some narcotic got called dope. I think dope is a generic term for an illicit substance. Thank you for explaining that. To uh, me, sure. sir. I appreciate it. That's 
You're welcome. It's very helpful <laughs> of you. I'm a little creeped out by Saru stroking his little emblem pen thing. Uh, I didn't understand okay. it and i thought that maybe it was supposed to mean something like he's what the part that he's stroking is a part that appears to represent the baul also it occurs to me that it was about a thousand years ago that saru helped to unite helped to begin the uniting of the baul and the kelpians and uh -huh. now here he is you know some sort of council member so he's like a ghost of the past you know like uh like burnham you know like burning come burnham coming back and I, being able to speak as spock's sister and now saru can come back being able to speak as saru well i think that that's partially why they consider him uh, an elder yeah he is technically one of the oldest kelpians just because he's the he oldest survived his uh vaharai he's also a thousand years older than everybody else uh, sure but not actually what year was he born in your year of your birth i mean if you skip over some of those years yeah those... Mm -mm -mm. i get where you come from what did you think of ensign tall's joke though i liked it their wave joke oh i was there a joke there uh, obviously you didn't catch it. It was a punny. I I probably did. Okay. I I I, I acknowledged it and moved on. <laughs> it is it is it is Star Trek Maybe. that has caused my sense of humor, and I'm doing my best to no longer acknowledge the amusing things in Star Trek because I then end oh. up spewing them back out as if they are barbarously hilarious, and people are like, "What are you talking about, you nerd?" <laughs> I've just. Growing up with my dad, I've just been made to be amused more by punnies, I guess. Because they're punny. <laughs> they're punlarious. Have you uh, stopped to just kind of uh, listen to the credits, or do you when it uh, does the little shrinky dinks screen thing and tell oh, you? I've listened all the way through. I, I've listened all the way through in order to watch all the way through. I, I think I like this new rendition of the end. I do. It's very different. It's a little more foreboding, though, for me. Foreboding? Yeah, like, ooh, so like something bad is going to happen. It's like we're on the calm before the storm. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's foreshadowing a little bit. I paused, paused, paused through the uh, last moments of the show so I could see this anomaly. And what I know is that we're at this accretion cloud, right, that has all this, like, big rocks and stuff, right? And, yeah. and then we back up, you know, and you know I love those backup scenes, right? So you back all the way out. And there's what looks like, it almost looks like an eyeball, right? Because it's got like a tear duct on one side and then it's like rounded on the other side. And it has like a lid sort of shape. And then we back up and there's some like planets, right? And we're still seeing like these sort of eye shape with like more and more mm -hmm. descriptions of it around it. Mm -hmm. And then as we continue backing up, we pass planets and then we pass stars and then whole galaxies zoom See? past us. As we're as we're zooming away from the Looney Tunes logo, <laughs> I did see the thing that you are calling a galaxy. Are you sure it wasn't a nebula or a nova? Or yeah, I, there were several of them. I didn't see them. light lights with, but even lights even with central the lights Way, and then other lights inside of them. Even in the Milky Way galaxy itself, there are uh, multiple nebulas and nova stuff like that. So. 
we could have seen more than one of those too. I'm just saying, I think it's possible that it's bigger than five light years across. Then why? And they just they, don't. They just don't. They only seeing one aspect of it. Maybe, maybe they're like seeing a fourth or fifth dimensional object in a three dimensional plane. Yes, perhaps that. Oh. Perhaps exactly that. That's what I'm getting at. Cool. Maybe. We shall have to wait and see. Just like the. Please tune in next week to find out more information. And tune in next week to us to find out our reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's that. That's going to happen. I'm going to call, I'm going to give a number a nine to this episode because I thought it was really great. I thought this episode was very hard to watch. It's emotionally intense. Nevertheless, I feel this episode has the potential to be the best episode of the season. Well, maybe? you know, and that's, um, a, that's a season four. So, you know. So if the fives and sixes are good too. If when when TNG went into five and six, those were good as well. I wonder if some of those uh, top ten lists are gonna maybe put this somewhere near the top of their lists on this. Mm, let's get to the end of the season and find out. Tune in next week, ladies and germs and herms and thems and days. It'll be episode three of Star Trek Discovery season four. Yeah. This is where Jack says, "I mean, the other guy, not me, the other guy." This is where Earl says his thing. <laughs> Stay big, dream positive. And do, do we know our jump into the future with yet? both feet like a burnum? Uh, no flying recklessly through space. Yes. <laughs> Tumbling untethered. Uh, wait a minute. How come she gets to fly all untethered through space, but Book can't fly? He's in the ship and he can't. You know what? Uh, I forgot. This episode is over. We'll see you guys next time. Stay positive, dream big, and we will you'll hear from us again soon. Support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.